All right. Well, hello, everyone. I'd like to welcome you to the latest installment of Hydrocarbon Processing's podcast series, The Main Column. We are live here at the AFPM annual meeting in San Antonio, Texas, and I'm your host, Mike Rhodes, with Hydrocarbon Processing. Uh, we have a very special guest joining us today on The Main Column. Keith Couch is the Senior Director of Business Development and Integrated Projects from Honeywell UOP. So welcome, Keith. Thank you Thank for you, joining Mike. us. Appreciate Thanks for having me. You, appreciate you being here. Uh, we're going to talk to Keith today about uh, the refining and petrochemicals market and decarbonization, uh, some upcoming projects, and, and much more. Uh, we have a lot to get to, so again, Keith, welcome. And uh, if you're ready, let's just jump right into it. Let's go. All Thank right. you. So uh, you're here at the AFPM annual meeting. First impressions right off the bat. Oh, it's a lively bunch. Um, the sessions that they have, the ambiance, the, the ability to get together with customers again after such a long pause has really been reinvigorating. Agreed. Yeah, well, you have the same experience. So let's just dive into these uh, into our discussion. Uh, let me know, let us know a little bit more about what uh, Honey, Honeywell UOP and, and your role within the company. Okay. Uh, UOP has been around since 1914, now wholly owned by Honeywell. So Honeywell is now mom and dad. <laughs> And it's been a uh, it's been a great opportunity for seeing a lot of investment from Honeywell into UOP. It's allowed us to do a lot of different things. It's allowed us to grow in different areas, and they've really equipped us to be able to help focus on things that are going to be future focused, rather than just the things that are right in front of us today. The one of the biggest, more exciting things that we're looking at is the sustainable technology solutions area, mm-hmm. where we've really been able to grow and treat that part of the organization like a startup venture capital firm, right? Looking at new things, new ways. That's where we're looking at the the green hydrogen portfolios, the carbon capture portfolios, the flow battery, uh, catalyst coated membranes to go into electrolyzers for the future all really exciting things that the world's going to need. At the same time, we still continue to, to reinvest in our core, really focused on how can we make refining petrochemicals and gas processing technologies that we've served for over 100 years leaner, better, more efficient, lower carbon footprint. Okay. Uh, we see that you're presenting tomorrow in a session titled Powering the Future of Refining and Petrochemicals. For the audience that uh, could not make the event, uh, can you give us some of the highlights? Sure. Half of my job is really looking at how, how do you do better across an entire greenfield application? How do you put the most bankable greenfield integrated refining petrochemicals projects together? Recognizing that a lot of the world's already built. We still have to do better in our existing assets, a brownfield application. So tomorrow we're going to focus fundamentally on the just-go-do projects the low-cost projects, medium-cost projects. We're not looking at reconfiguring tomorrow. We're going to be looking at those things that refiners can do in real time at maintenance turnarounds to help them achieve better results with with lower energy intensity, with lower carbon intensity. That's going to be the first 30 minutes. The second 30 minutes is going to be a real big focus on things like eco-finding to make sustainable aviation fuel, uh, to make green diesel, to make carbon capture, a um, little bit of touch on CO2 to stuff, whether that stuff be, in your definition, a fuel product or a petrochemical product. Okay. And we were discussing this a little bit before we got onto this podcast. Now that we're a few months out from the 
uh, Inflation Reduction Act making headlines. How is that? Uh, how do you see this impacting the momentum of decarbonization in oil and gas? Well, if we talk about when I travel to Europe, I hear more about the IRA in Europe than I do actually here. Mm. And a lot of that, I think, is focused on Europeans see that while the U.S. might have been really slow to get to this party, the IRA helps us leapfrog a lot of the things that Europe's been doing. So it's exciting to see not only the, the type of government support that's going into it, but the speed at which it's being brought and delivered. Now it's going to be really interesting when, when we talk about the risks to how our businesses operate, how the industry operates. It's really policy risk is driving a lot of people's investment decisions. Uh, this helps hopefully solidify a lot of that policy risk, providing a lot of cash for people to do projects that are actually bankable. Right? When we talk about bankable, they have to be flexible and they have to be sustainable. More and more we're seeing banks require new metrics before they're going to fund projects. We're seeing board of directors require new measures. Those are things like CO2 footprint per octane barrel, CO2 footprint per ton of products, CO2 footprint per dollar invested as they look at their capital stack of lending. So a lot of the things in the IRA help align the financial support around those projects as well to help the refiners and the petrochemical producers get access to more cash to be able to do those things. Providing a little more clarity. Absolutely. We're not where we need to be. I think that's still a risk exposure to the industry. We need things that are going to be fixed for a longer period of time. Ten-year horizons aren't our payback period for our industry, right? We, we need policy support that extends out for the fully depreciated asset life of those installations. And I think that'll come with time. Okay, let's talk a little bit, uh, a little bit more about some of the costs that are associated with uh, carbon capture under this Inflation Reduction Act. Sure. Fundamentally, you're going to have three cost components that are going to go into a ca carbon capture project. The first one is that levelized cost of actually capturing the CO2 and compressing it into a supercritical fluid. The second piece is you're going to have to transport it in a pipeline, whether you own it or somebody else own it, and, and they're offering CO2 as a service. The third major expense is going to be sequestering that CO2 down into the geology structure. So when we look at overall cost about $85 a ton for most refining process units where we have a high concentrate higher concentration of CO2 we add on to that between 10 and $20 a ton to be able to transport it down a pipeline and then about another five to ten dollars a ton to, to sequester it in the geology when we look at adding those up and we look at the Inflation Reduction Act those prices were effectively created and developed um, based on where inflation was a while ago. Right? So as we continue to see issues in the banking industry, as we see inflation continuing to rise and be higher globally, the cost to manufacture, the cost to install are all going up as well. So part of the overall pricing structure and the risk that we see to people jumping on and taking advantage of the IRA is just the escalation of inflation of costs associated with their projects. That gets into the question of how much support are people going to need to be able to actually say, we want to invest in this and we're actually going to pull the trigger and do it. One of the other big risks that we continue to see is the permit timing. Permit and application timings are, are backlogged. 
when people are trying to get in line, they're, they're way at the end of a very long line that's not being prosecuted fast enough, that's not moving through the system fast enough. We need a faster means to get to permits. We still want to be safe, right? We still want the geology to contain that CO2. We want the, the Class 6 well permits to be fully vetted. But it really needs to happen faster um, for people to take advantage of it and use it. Uh, talking about carbon capture in the oil and gas sector, so what technologies is Honeywell betting on to move the needle on emissions reduction? Right, so anytime I'm thinking about emission reductions, I'm thinking about the first thing I want to do is I avoid making those emissions in the first place. Again, that gets back to tomorrow and how we're going to talk about more efficiently doing more with less in our, in our existing assets. Hard to abate carbon that's going to come out through flue gases. A lot of that is buried in our advanced solvent for carbon capture. We've been working with the University of Texas on, on new solvent systems that enable capturing that CO2 more efficiently, that you can regenerate and remove the CO2 at a higher pressure than normal applications. That really buys you not just the shrinkage in the capital asset, but also the energy intensity associated with running it. So um, a lot of advancements made on reducing the cost footprint and reducing the operating expense associated with, with that technology. Um, membrane systems. A lot of separations in membrane systems. A lot of technology applications that are going after things like you've produced hydrogen, you have solution losses, they go to your fuel gas header, they're being burned. When we look at the U.S. installed base, we see somewhere between 30 and about 60% mole percent hydrogen in the fuel gas headers. You've already paid for that feedstock. It's already got a carbon footprint. Don't burn it. Simple PSA and membrane systems allow you to recover that material offset against the stacks that you would otherwise be having to produce additional hydrogen on, the, on an SMR um, and then use that for the chemical value rather than the fuel value of the hydrogen because that's gray hydrogen. That doesn't get you the renewable credits. Uh, so a lot of work in that space. So uh, Honeywell's recently announced a project with ExxonMobil. Can you mm -hmm. speak a little bit about that? So I'm really excited to see what ExxonMobil is doing. They're building out an infrastructure that is going to enable CO2 as a service for many others. So they're taking advantage of it in, in their own applications, um, which is really exciting to see. But they're also enabling a lot of other people to be able to leverage into that pipeline system to sequester materials as well. So really happy to be partnering um, with ExxonMobil on that project. Okay. So in the national dialogue of, on uh, decarbonization, what, what are we missing? What, are, what should be brought into sharper focus? Probably that policy risk. Mm -hmm. How do you get the right tenor of support to be able to fully pay out those assets? Our industry operates off of a 15-year type of financing period. We need to be able to see that. Um, the incremental between 45Q as it used to be versus the IRA now, we're seeing increased levels of support. So it's going to be really interesting to watch how many people actually move forward with projects at this price point level. You're going to get a few tranches, I think, as, as it doesn't adopt as fast as society wants to see it. We're going to have to continue systematically raising that support level until we find the, the point at which the cost to capture, transport, and sequester 
is matched against a bankable return that boards of directors and, and shareholders are going to be willing to support. So that's probably number one. So with decarbonization, uh, as a number two item that we want to talk about in decarbonization is we see a lot of press on blue hydrogen versus green hydrogen and which one's going to win. Uh, I don't think it's about winning and losing. I think it's about understanding blue hydrogen is ready and economical today at the support levels that we have. When green hydrogen comes in, I don't think those blue hydrogen projects are going to be going away. Right? There's still going to be the demand and the need to use that hydrogen, produce that hydrogen, and do it at a cost point of carbon capture that society will support. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, Keith, we can't thank you enough for providing uh, some time for us today. I know you're extremely busy. Uh, we appreciate the time to uh, come and chat with us about the important issues facing our industry. Uh, we want to thank our audience for listening to this special edition of the Main Column Podcast, live from the AFPM annual meeting. Thank you. Mike, thank you.